I want to talk about, um, yes, there. Uh, the food of our spirit is in the will of God, or doing the will of God. And uh, my text is from John 4 and from 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. John chapter 4 is about the Samaritan woman. Fantastic story. I'll just brief it to us because it's a long, long story. But uh, the background to it, I believe, is providence. I do believe that God is a God of providence. He works things out. He's got a big cog and it's turning and each cog goes round and moves another cog. And he does that in your life. All of us can say at some point, God had his finger on my life and brought me to a certain point and changed it. God's providence is here seen where it says in verse 4, Jesus saw that things were happening in Jerusalem and that, that, that they saw that John the Baptist was baptizing and then Jesus was baptizing more, but actually Jesus didn't baptize, it says. So instead of the conflict, Jesus decided to move from where he was there down to Galilee, from Judea to Galilee. And that is a 70-mile trip. And there's two routes. There's a shortish route and there's a long route. And because of the Jews hated and despised uh, the Samaritans, they took the long route, the hot route, the dusty road, to skirt round Samaria. But the Bible says Jesus had to. He must need to go through this Samaritan country, hostile place, as a Jew, very difficult. But he says he had to go through this place. Didn't go around the long route. He didn't skirt around. He needed to go to this place. And so he went a 70-mile trip. And the Bible says that he sat down because he was weary by Jacob's well. I do believe Oops, sorry, but... <laughs> that God also has a plan. You've heard me say it many times. <laughs> I'll see you in the plan. <laughs> you probably think, what's it doing about well, I do believe that God has a plan. It's a wonderful plan. It's a good plan. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for this planet. And the Bible says at the end that it's all going to wrap up and God's will will be done eventually fully and fully recognized. God has a plan. And God has a plan for you this morning. You might think, oh, come on. Yes, he has. He's created you. He's created all things. His cogs are ticking away in your life. God has a plan. And it's a good plan. You see, Jesus said, I always do the Father's will. And his will was for him to go through this hostile territory and come to Sychar, this little village, because God had got a plan. And while Jesus was walking, it says, meanwhile, a Samaritan woman decided to go and get some water from Jacob's well. A well-trodden path. I've seen the path on the internet. I've seen Jacob's well. It's still there. And this path was well trod because everybody used it. They would have come and got the water late in the evening when it wasn't so hot or very early in the morning. But here's this woman coming at midday. The hottest part of the day when everybody's having siesta and only mad dogs and Englishmen, I thought, went out in the midday sun. But here, this woman is going out in the hottest part of the day to draw water. 
And again, I do believe in the providences of God. And that she just thought she was going to get water. This woman was a notorious woman. She had five husbands and she was shacked up with a boyfriend. And so she couldn't meet with all the women of the town because of her lifestyle. They didn't really like her. There are plenty of people around like that, aren't there, today? I ran a shop in Cheadle and I had plenty of them come through the shop. We all had different names. One was called Black Sheila because of her past. But you know, God loved her and he gave her the gospel. The same here, this, this woman was probably a Black Sheila. And she couldn't meet with all the women. She had to go on her home. But, you know, Jesus came to the place just where she was going to be. Isn't God good that he has a plan? That he has providences? That he's no respecter of persons? And that he really cared about this woman and he wanted to meet with her? And so she came and drew water. And then we see the conversation strikes up. And uh, Jesus turned to this woman. Had to come out for the water. And asked her for a drink. <laughs> I really love this part of Scripture because there's so much that John, in this gospel message that he wants to see, to show us. Men in those days had no dealings with women. They wouldn't talk to them on the streets particularly. A bit like the Taliban. You know, they wouldn't be seen with a woman in a house. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have conversation. And here we've got a Jewish man, a, rabbi, a teacher, talking to a notorious woman. And funny enough, all the disciples, it says in verse 8, had gone to get provisions. It's funny that all of them had gone. So this left Jesus alone. Yes, provision. God's plan. So that Jesus could be alone with this woman and talk with her. Give me a drink of water, Jesus said. And then the conversation is struck up about spiritual water and life-giving water. And she was concerned about the bucket. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Here's Jesus speaking truth to this woman to open her heart and to give her some understanding and to reach into her life. And she's concerned about the bucket. You haven't got a bucket. Isn't that strange that we get so many things mixed up? You see, today, probably this morning, um, we are here and you either want to get out of this building because you're not born of the Spirit of God, and all this is nonsense to you. You just want to get back to where you've come from and shut the Bible, let's get on with it. Some of us here this morning are born again and love God's Word and want to hear from it. And some people here this morning, or probably listening on the internet, are what we call um, carnal Christians. They've been born again, but they've been sidetracked, and their life is so taken up with things with computer, with TV, with games, with life. And they focused on it so much so that now spiritual stuff has become dull and uninteresting. And they shut the Bible, let's get back to the game, let's get back to the computer. And spiritual things have become lost. And Jesus tries to expound things to us and we're stuck with the bucket. Because we can't see any further than what Jesus is actually saying to us. Are you a bit like that this morning? Why do I feel so dry? Why do I feel so empty? Why can't I get anything from the Bible? Why is spiritual stuff so boring to me? Because you're so focused on the things that are not of God. And they become boring to us. And Jesus very often is trying to expound things into our life to give us understanding of spiritual truth, of his plan and his purpose in your life. 
Oh, but I just want to get back to the, the computer. I just want to get back to the darts or whatever it is you've got going on. You want to get back to. But God has a plan. And this conversation was an amazing conversation. It got red herrings in it. It got things about worship. But the beautiful thing that John exposes is that Jesus has this conversation with a woman and Jesus changed the whole history and helped us to treat women right. Men are men. And we look down on women very often, but Jesus didn't. He cut right across that and respected her. Even though she, who she was, he had respect for her. He spoke to her kindly. And that's the standard set in the gospel. And from that time on, I believe that in marriage and our walk, we treat women right as men because of Jesus' model and how he, how he talked to this woman. And then there's a lot about worship and true worship and knowing God. And, uh, you know, people think they're worshipping God and they're not really. And Jesus brought the truth about spiritual worship and about having the Spirit of God and about knowing him. She talked about knowing him and Jesus said, you worship who you do not know. But we worship who we do know and salvation is from the Jews. They had more truth. And so the story goes on. He opens her heart and eventually she chucks away her water pot. This is in verse 28. She left her water pot and she'd had this discussion about the Messiah and that Jesus revealed himself to her and said, I am the Messiah. And she left her water pot empty, no water in it. <laughs> but I do believe that her, her empty heart was filled now. And she didn't need that anymore. She ran to the village and said, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not the Messiah, the Christ? And the whole people listened to her testimony. The work of Jesus speaking to her and her work going to the village and proclaiming, is this not the Christ? See what he's told me, what he's done in my life. Come and see him. So the whole village decided to go and see Jesus and come out to him. Jesus speaks to them and they respond. We now believe, not just because what she has said, but because we have heard you for ourselves and we know that you are the saviour of the world. Do you know that Jesus is the saviour of the world? Do you know, as you're listening on the internet at a random this morning, do you know that Jesus is the saviour of the world? There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus. There are many names out there, many religions. But Jesus is the true religion and he's the true saviour. And he's able to save you. He's able to do stuff in your life that's incredible. Sandwiched between this chapter is this, this amazing thing that happens with the disciples. And um, if you read in verse 31 to 37... I can read that for you. It says they'd gone out to get food and they'd come back and they offered him this food to eat. And this uh, text that Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And then some of them said again, here we go. Has somebody given you something to eat? Back to the natural and not fully understanding the spiritual. And somebody says this in uh, Cyril Hockle says this about... The inner meaning of Jesus' words were lost. And you can lose what Jesus says to you through the word sometimes because it's so, 
focused on worldly stuff. Life in general and carnality of mind misses what God is actually saying to you. Okay? So let's look at some of them. There are four things I can see where Jesus says things and it gets mixed up. John 2.20, it says this. um, They demanded a sign of Jesus. This is the Jews. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. 46 years it took to build this temple. Here they go. They're off on a tangent here. And you're going to do it in three days? (laughs) But the scripture says, but the temple Jesus was talking about was his body when it was raised from the dead and that the church was birthed. That's the spiritual application. His death and his resurrection. Not stones. Not bricks and mortar. What is Jesus saying to you this morning? Are you listening? Or are we blind? John 3, 4, second one. This is Nicodemus. Jesus was expounding to a religious man how to be saved, how to know God, how to come into the kingdom. And he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus said, surely cannot enter into his mother's womb and be born. Jesus was not talking about entering into the mother's womb, but talking about entering into heaven, the kingdom, by a spiritual birth. And then Jesus goes on to preach the gospel to him. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up upon the cross to pay the price for sin. And as he said, Moses said, all who looked to him, all who looked to the brass serpent, were healed of the snake bite. All who look to Jesus are healed from the consequences of sin and the devastation of it in our lives. Jesus preached the gospel, and by doing that, there is a spiritual work in our hearts. Nicodemus mixed it. And here in John 4:11, Jesus was offering the woman spiritual life and water, and she was concerned about the bucket. <laughs> Missed the point again. Maybe this morning you're missing the point. What God is saying to you. And then here, finally, the food situation. Has somebody fed him? Jesus was talking about God's will and doing God's will and being full and full of joy doing God's will. For those of us who are not fully in, it's a drudgery to do God's will. It's boring. But for Jesus, it was the pinnacle of his life. It was the food for him. My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me. And to finish his work, to go to the cross. There's a song we sing, and it's all for Jesus. And in the line, and it says, only in your will am I truly free. When you're following Jesus and doing his will and obedient to him, there's a joy about it that is unexplainable. Hudson Taylor, the great missionary, said, an unsatisfied soul is an unsurrendered soul. It's only in serving God that we have the true freedom and the true joy that God's intended for us. And nothing else will satisfy. I've been there. Believe me, I speak from experience. Jesus was fed by doing God's will. Doing God's will. I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me, not to do my own will. And if you read on, 
it says this, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. What was the will of the Father for Jesus? Was for him to give us eternal life. He talks a lot about the sheep. And my sheep hear my voice and I give them eternal life. That was what the will of the Father was for Jesus and that's what he was doing. Offering this woman eternal life. John 5.20, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. I carry out the will of the one who sent me. Not my own will, but the will of my Father. Do you think doing God's will is easy? I think of Gethsemane. And I think of Jesus there, kneeling three times. The pressure that was coming upon him to pay the price for sin, for your sin, for my sin. And there, sweating great drops of blood, saying, not my will, but your will be done. Sometimes, Jesus is the example, sometimes doing God's will is not easy. Sometimes we've done things, and we're doing things, and we've got to say, I've got to stop this. I need to do God's will. And believe me, when you do that, there's a wonderful freedom, a release. But we think we carry on like this and we'll, we'll make a bit of money and we'll do that and do this and we'll connive here. It doesn't work. But Jesus said, I've come to do your will, Father. And he had to stand his ground and sweat and toil to do that. Maybe we've taken the easy route. It was his delight, Psalm 40 verse 8. I delight to do your will, oh my God, your law is always within my heart. Was it a delight always to Jesus to do the will of the Father? Well, again, I'm thinking of Hebrews 12 too. It says, setting our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, listen, endured the cross, the pain, the suffering, the agony. He endured it. Not delighting in it, but for the joy set before him, he endured the pain. And despised the cross. Oh, the stuff that comes into our life sometimes. We've got to despise it and count it as nothing. But the joy that is set before us. What's the joy set before us? What's the joy set before Jesus? Well, it's us, his church. What's the joy set before Jesus? His glory when he came into heaven after his death and resurrection. And for the billions and billions of people on the planet that worship him and give him glory. That's his delight. And so he despised the pain and the suffering and the cross for the joy set before him. My delight, he says, is to do the will of my Father. Always. His word is in my heart. That's the key, to have the word in your heart. So it's not always easy to do the will of God. But Jesus sought it, Jesus delighted in it, and Jesus did it. And that's the model for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, friends, this morning. Fixing our eyes upon him. Look to Jesus and what he went through for us. We go through nothing like that. But there is a joy and a delight that is set before us, friends. Now, verse 34, there's a lesson here of the harvest. 
This is the next sandwich bit. So all this has gone on in between and the disciples have got to learn the lesson, the spiritual lesson. But now he comes to another lesson that he wants to teach us about the harvest. The Samaritans were coming. They were coming in the droves. The work had been done. Jesus had spoken. He'd sacrificed his food. The earthly food is needless time to eat later. But because of the joy and because of what was happening, he didn't eat. And very often, we can get like that. And you're so taken up with God's work. Maybe again you're saying this morning, what is rubbish you're talking about? Well, we've got to be there to experience it. Jesus was really taken up with God's work and he didn't want his food because his joy, his food, his nourishment was doing the will of God. There's more to life than just food. There's your spiritual life. There's your soul. There's eternity to come. There's laying up treasures in heaven. That's our joy. And we will benefit from that one day. So Jesus was saying, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me. God didn't need four months, friends. He can do it all. Sow and reap in one go. You know, we've got to sow, wait four months, the rain, the sun. Lots of complaints, it's not raining, it's too much sun. Just watch the tally and see the farmers in this country complain and complain. Four months, Jesus said, don't look to that. Look, the fields are now white to harvest. And the labourers are few. Are you a labourer this morning? Or are you caught up? with this world's food, your thing. Many people I've talked to in the past on the street, they can't hear what I'm saying because they've got their own thing going on. And Jesus has to focus, filter through a lot of stuff to get through to them. And it might take a chain down the line somewhere. Somebody will reap. But Jesus has done it all. He's spoken. Her testimony, the hordes are coming. These despised people, this ethnic group that nobody liked, they were coming. And this woman, who's the most notorious sinner, the most unlikeliest one, Jesus is using to bring in the harvest. Hudson Taylor, the China mission. Oh, have you ever read his stories? I started reading them this morning. I couldn't stop reading them. Um, he said, God's work done in God's way never lacks God's provision. He had nothing, but he prayed and God provided. There's some stories that... Uh, well, I won't go into that, but the main story, as I want to emphasize, is that Hudson Taylor had his tea prepared every night. And he would come in from a hard day's labor in China in 1870. And he would walk past his tea, go upstairs, and pray. What he was praying for was help in China. He needed help desperately. He said, There are hordes and there are millions in China that don't know Christ, and it's just me. He prayed. An impossible situation. He prayed. He put his earthly food aside and did the will of the Father and prayed. And you know, he prayed that God would raise up in, the, in Britain out of the um, universities men who would come and serve him in China. And we know what happened. I think it was D.L. Moody came to Britain and preached the gospel and see he stood, responded, a cricketer, great cricketer. Then you've got all the others that came, the Cambridge Seven, and moved into China, laid down their lives. And the, they say that today, 150 years later, their work is still impacted and felt in China today. 
The fields are white to harvest, the labourers are few. May Cheadle find that the labourers here, that we're working towards the harvest. Amen. Um, there's an urgency. The harvest is ripe and the labourers are few. The question is, to you, to you on the internet, to me, am I carnal? Are you carnal? Full of the world? Well, we need money and we need to do life, yes, but in its right place is Jesus first. Our true nourishment is when we do the will of God, when we act on his word. This world has its draw. It draws us. It diminishes our love, our interest in God's work. And we'd rather close the Bible and get back to our nourishment that we find in, in this world. But it doesn't last. It has leaky holes. God has a plan this morning. I want you to know that. I want you to go home with that. That God has a plan for you. That God has providence in your life because of who he is. He's the king of glory. He's the God of the universe. He's created it all. He holds it together, he says. Now look at the galaxies and the billions of galaxies. You see them out there. Mind-boggling. But the Bible says he holds it together by the word of his power. So it doesn't spin off everywhere. God has a plan for you. You might be the most unlikeliest of people today. You might say, well, my past is defining me as such and such. And people don't, wherever I go, I don't, you know, I'm aware that I'm like this. God doesn't think that about you. God wants to use you in his plan. He wants you to bring in the funny people. He wants you to bring in the odd bods that you're angry around with. <laughs> I remember years ago, the old church and an elder there, to the shop work I did. I used to have a girl come in the shop. She changed the name to Rocky. She was absolutely crazy. And I got her to come to church. And the whole church looked at me and said, what are you bringing her here for? I was absolutely amazed by that. But God loved Rocky. Unfortunately, years later, her daughter stabbed her to death recently. We did talk to her daughter as well. Got her to church. But she never never received Christ fully. We are truly entering into Jesus' finished work. This is me finishing now. He has done the hard work. His death on the cross has done it all. And for you and me, we just enter into that work. We get into the fields. We get into the harvest. We witness. There's an urgency today like there's never been before. I, I, I just gets me when I watch the news, watching on holiday the the different world uh, news and they pull out so much stuff that's going on in this world. It's hard to take in. You know, there's a crisis in Burma. There's crisis in Ukraine. There's things happening all around us. There's energy prices are going through the roof. People are at unrest like never before. Unprecedented times. But now is the urgency for our witness and our standing and going out and preaching the gospel. Yesterday I was up the street taxi my van and I saw the Jehovah's Witnesses and my heart sank. I used to be there with a the board. I need to get back. The urgency needs to be in this church and it needs to be in our hearts and we need to say, Lord, I'm here. I need to put away these things and put them in the place and put you first, Lord. 
I need a surrendered heart so that I can be satisfied. I need to pray and not count the food, the important thing, but Lord, your will in my life. Is that you this morning? Are you saying that this morning on the internet as you're listening? Has it got you the word of God? Is Jesus speaking to you? And are you interested in buckets, bricks and all this kind of stuff? But he's trying to get a deeper message to you. He's got a plan for your life. He's got a calling upon you. He's working things around that you hear his word. Respond to it. And do the will of God. This woman had two choices. To focus on the bucket and on the misconception that she was in a false religion. To carry on in her lifestyle or to receive Jesus and his word. She received his word, left her bucket because it was no use anymore and her heart was full and she went back and the whole town accepted her and worked with her and came to Jesus. Maybe this morning, you're notorious, (laughs) you've got a past, but believe me, God loves you and Jesus has done the work of dying on the cross for you and saving you and forgiving you and giving you a plan and a purpose in his will. And when you do his will, there's a nourishment and an enjoyment about it that's indescribable. Amen.